welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Kopinski. And today I'm honored to have on this year's Newbery Medal winner, Donna Barbara Higuera, to talk about her book, The Last Quintista. For those of you not familiar, this is like winning an Oscar for your children's book. So it's really exciting to get to speak with Donna. Um, a little more about her. Donna Barba Higuera's middle grade and picture books reinvent history, folklore, and her own life experience into compelling storylines. She lives in Washington State with her husband, four kids, three dogs, and a frog. Her books include Lupe Wong Won't Dance, El Kukui is Scared Too, and The Last Quintista. And um, those have won awards, including the Newbery Medal, um, both Pura Belfry Medal and Honor, PNBA Best Book of the Year Award, and the Sid Fleischman Award for Best Children's Humor Book of the Year. Um, and I really like this review, um, uh, one of many starred reviews The Last Quintista got that said, um, in The Last Quintista, um, she definitely blends Mexican folklore with science fiction in this thrilling and emotional post apostrophe <laughs> post-apocalyptic novel. <laughs> um, so Donna, congratulations on the Newberry and thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you so much. I was cheering and very excited um, as the um, announcement was made. I feel like for librarians and people in the book world, um, I compare the ALA Youth Media Awards, like they're our Super Bowl. <laughs> I get so excited and to see who's won and I sort of feel like there should be like a big parade for all the winners. <laughs> I, I love the energy and excitement about it. I think only book people understand how like it's you just get giddy watching and you're so excited for everyone. Oh, it's huge. I um I got to go to the awards once when they were in Boston and the energy in the room with all the librarians and book people was just amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would love um, for listeners who have not read The Last Quintista yet, can you tell us some more um, about the book? Sure. So um, it is a middle grade, and I always intended it to be middle grade. It's probably a little more upper middle grade. It's a, a smidge darker than the typical middle grade. But it's about a girl, Petra Pena. And Petra um, is set in the year 2061. And Petra is wants to be a storyteller like her grandmother. And we find out that Haley's Comet, which makes its or Halley's, which makes its rounds about Earth every, you know, so often. I remember when it came by when I was a child and it's due to come back in 2061 and it gets nudged off course by a solar flare. So there's this frantic, you know, um, frantic effort to get off earth into these ships that will terraform another planet. And Petra's parents are scientists. So they are chosen to go on the ship and they get to take their family. And for this journey, they get to download information. And for this, you know, it's going to take hundreds of years to get to the new planet. And of course, Petra chooses story. She chooses, oh, I'm going to download all of earth's folklore and mythology and of course, she's devastated because she's leaving behind her grandmother, but she's taking her grandmother's stories with her as well in the oral tradition of storytelling, like much of folklore throughout time. And along the way, things happen and there's kind of an evil political movement that takes over the ship over those hundreds of years. And they decide that Earth and what was happening was not good. And so they are going to erase all memory of Earth. Uh, which includes 
folklore, mythology, history, and start over. And when they arrive to the location, Petra wakes up and discovers that her family is missing amongst all the other adults and that the children that she is with have no memory of Earth. She is the only one who remembers Earth and its folklore and mythology. And it kind of goes from there. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I um, It was one of those books where it's the combination I love where you're just totally gripped and up late reading, but also like slowing down over the beautiful writing and just, um, I mean, these, these characters, I could not stop thinking about them and what they were going through, just um, like a very emotional read too, just rooting for them and um, oh, just wonderful. So I, you know, I would love to hear, I read a little bit um, from you in an interview about kind of how the story first started and um, that it kind of went through a lot of re- revision to get to the point um, of what we read now. Could you talk mm-hmm. a little about that? I'm so curious, um, just because the world is so um, distinct and just so interestingly developed and just kind of curious how you got there and how the characters came to be who they are too. Well, I think originally it was very plot driven. I, I had It started out as a short story I'd written a few years back. And the idea of being stuck for hundreds of years and then waking up and finding out life and earth and the people around you had changed. It just, it was one of those things that I had to revisit. But when I did, I saw the plot in my mind. It kind of played out like a movie. And so as I was writing it, it was very much, and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened. And as I started going back through revision the character came to life and Petra came to life and her, her yearnings and the things she loved. And, and so it became more about the character than what was, you know, of course, you know, it's science fiction and that's setting and those things are important, but I think ultimately in any novel you want to connect with the character and Petra and her family and the stories kind of wove their way in. However, I will say when I first wrote it and turned it into my editor, I would have something like, and, you know, and Petra tells the kids the story about blah, blah, blah. And, and it affects them. (laughs) And my editor said, Donna, why don't you tell the story? (laughs) So um, I went back through and every opportunity, it was kind of strange. I think that I was hesitant to tell those stories because they seemed a little bit weird to me. And sometimes Mexican folklore, because it is different in its structure and in the characters, you have to really suspend your, your um, belief system on some of them. And I was like, you know, am I ready to share like my versions of these things? And I just wrote it and it worked. I think I let, those stories come through with how, what was going on though with Petra. I was like, you know what? I'm not Petra. Let her tell these stories. Look at what's going on in her life. And, and she's not afraid to tell them. So let her tell them. And so as these things were happening to her, these stories found their way in to the, to, you know, kind of her helping the kids remember who they were. And so it was a very different novel when it started. Like I said, it was more plot different driven. And then, you know, I think a lot of writers, we have things 
from either our childhood or our past that maybe we're afraid to share with others. I think everybody does. And writing is one of those things where you can share that, but you have to be ready. And when I started writing the novel, I wasn't ready. And then by the time I got through, I was like, wow, this really isn't my story to tell. This is Petra's and I just let her tell it. And so a lot of those, you know, the flashbacks where she gets to go back and see her time with her family, those were added later. My editor said, you know, I want to know more about her relationships. And I said, oh, well, this is what they are. And he's like, go write them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so once I wrote them, they seem to fit in so seamlessly because I think a lot of people go, oh, flashbacks. We don't we don't want those. But it was important to show also what Petra had lost, what, yeah. what she left behind on earth. But also, you know, I don't want to give away too many spoilers, but what family means and the complexities of family and how sometimes they're not always perfect, but we still love our families. And I wanted to show that as well. So interesting. You talk about it being kind of a different book first and then sort of having to um, really get kind of brave with what you're putting out there. I talked last night with Andrea Wang and Jason Chin on their book Watercrest that won the Caldecott and Andrea was saying something really similar that the story was very different at first and really took her sort of like getting vulnerable and she was kind of scared of um, putting so much out there and uh, but that's kind of what led to um, both books being such a success. So it's just so interesting. Um, I find that if I'm, if I'm writing and I'm grabbing Kleenex because my nose is running and, I, and I'm like, okay, that's my better <laughs> writing. Cause you, it is a vulnerable place. And, and like I said, not everybody is ready to write everything at every time. And, and so I think that if we push people and it's the same with kids, if we're like, Oh, you need to write that. Well, maybe they're not ready. You know, yeah. sometimes we people digest their emotions and feelings and you know and look Andrea and I were you know she's not as old as I am but look we're older and it took us this long (laughs) so yeah she um, was saying it took eight years for that story to kind of get to where it needed to be which is so interesting yeah Um, yeah. well you know I would love to hear you know the book obviously has been such a success and um, gotten so many awards and starred reviews and all of that Um, As you kind of put it out into the world, did you have a sense of that? Did you feel like this was going to be something really special? Or I'm just kind of curious how that happened. And then when you found out that it won the new brand, I'm curious what that was like. Well, I mean, first of all, it was no, I had no idea that it would hit the nerve that it did. I really was when people say I was writing this book for my kid self. I don't know that I was doing that specifically, but I write kind of what comes to me. So maybe that is, you know, it's therapy in a way. So I think I was writing it a little bit for my kid self, but I was a weird kid. So all that tells me is that there are a lot of weird people out there, (laughs) which makes me happy. I have found people. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Um, But I, you know, I was a kid who I did love sci-fi. I loved fantasy. I loved the Twilight Zone and Star Wars and Star Trek. And so um, writing this book felt like home to me. But 
an award was never even remotely on my radar. And so even though I knew that, you know, award season was here and I knew somewhere in my mind that, oh yeah, you know, um, they're announcing the ALA, they're doing the ALA awards soon. Um, it, I would never, ever thought that my book was even in the running. Partially, be, my book had just come out recently before that, only a month or two before, maybe two months before the announcement. And also, um, sci-fi is one of those genres that typically isn't really recognized. The, the last kind of space sci-fi that there that has won a Newberry was A Wrinkle in Time. And that was, I think, over 50 years ago. So um, no, I wasn't expecting it. And and not even on my radar until I got the call. We had the Zoom call the day before. And I even then I thought it was a Zoom call with Barnes and Noble. So oh I was completely <laughs> blown away. And yeah, shock is a good um, descriptor. I I'm so glad I'm horrified, but glad that somebody filmed the moment they told me because (laughs) my, I love the expressions I can see. And I know exactly what was going through my mind, the expressions and the emotions. Um, Yeah. Someone recorded it, but I'm glad they did because I got to see it because I was, I, it's a blur to me. That's so cool. Kind of now that that's happened and you know, people don't quite understand what a big deal it is like from being in a um I used to work in a school library and I'm just thinking now like I'm sure you can't even get a copy of the book right now because it's anyone who didn't have it before in the book world has ordered it it's going to be in you know every library every school library like I feel like every classroom teacher that had the money was ordering it um hopefully parents are getting it for their kids but so that's huge and it's going to be on bookshelves you know for a very, very long time. And I'm just kind of curious how you feel now going forward. Like, has that changed anything in your writing career? Does it change kind of any of the projects you were working on? Or I don't know if you had um, a day job you were doing. I'm just kind of curious if it's changed your either writing life or your regular life at all. Yeah, my everything. (laughs) Everything has changed. Um, I do have a day job. I'm an optometrist and I had planned to cut back a little bit. So my background is in science and healthcare, but I plan to cut back this year anyway, my youngest leaves for college. And so that part of having the freedom though, to do both that career and my writing career, I'd love to keep if I can. I I'm working. I'm going to cut down to a couple days a week, and then I'll have the remainder to write. Um, as far as everything else, it has. There have been a lot of interviews, such as this, and things like that, to, to navigate. And so my writing time has been a little bit difficult in the last few months, but um, I am on a deadline, and so I it helps me to organize my time. I think that it forces me to organize my time. And so I get up early to write and I, I am trying to produce a chapter a week. And then I'll, of course I'll go into revisions with my editor. It didn't necessarily affect the project that I'm working on. Um, it isn't really, um, it's not a sequel, but it's in the same universe. I think I'm allowed to say that at this point. 
but it's um, I've had to kind of forget Petra's story and focus on the new character and and she keeps popping up her head and go, Hey, look at me. (laughs) So, um, that's been, it's been a little bit of a distraction, but, um, I will say I'm just looking forward to just hunkering down and writing and reading a little bit more. A lot of times when I'm in revision, I can't read as much because the books enter my mind and they poke their heads up because people are, you know, other authors, characters become my friends. And then I want to talk with them too. So, um, but I, I can't help it. I keep reading other people's books. So I'm creating my own distractions. I guess I should say <laughs> I'm my own worst enemy, but um, it's, it's been a lot. I think that, Oh, I should tell you this. It's really interesting because there's kind there is kind of this secret Newberry Club and past winners reach out to you and call you and email you. <gasps> How is it going? And um, that's been really weird, but um, it's all about support because I think they've all been where I am and they realize that you're a bit of a deer in headlights and there's a lot coming at you a lot of events and, and other things and writing speeches. And so it's more of a support system just to kind of say, you know what, you've got this, but, you know, be cautious with your, your time. And it's, it's okay to say no to things that, you know, I've had, you know, the advice of don't forget your family, (laughs) you know, put your family first and things that are all kind of common sense, but in the moment and all the, you know, just all the chaos, you do forget those things sometimes. And remembering that at the end of the day, family and your books and writing are are probably your priorities and what you should focus on. I love that there's a secret Newberry club. I'm picturing, (laughs) well, I'm picturing they always used to have these, um, they probably still do, these giant posters that show every um, Newberry winning book. And then they'd add like the newest and just like picturing the last Quintista like up at the top. Is there a particular like book? Yeah. I'm sure they still have them. Is there a particular book or author that you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm on like the poster with them. I'm on the list with them forever. Oh my gosh. Every single one. Um, okay. And every time I get an email or a phone call, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like I freak out, but then I realize like, who else am I going to hear from? So um, I think the one I probably like got really nervous about was Meg Medina. And I had seen her one time at a conference and we were sitting in a class together and I had just finished reading uh, Yaki Delgado wants to kick your ass. And (laughs) it was totally fangirling. And she was like two chairs down from me. And I couldn't say a word. I was (laughs) starstruck and I just didn't say anything. And I haven't told her and she's emailed me and we've emailed back and forth. Someday I will tell her how nervous I was. But um, yeah, that and oh gosh, um, Kelly Barnhill and Matt De La Pena and oh oh my gosh, Aaron and Trotta Kelly and there's just this long list. Um, Linda Sue Park. I'm, oh my gosh, it's, 
It's like, yeah, I think we need to name the secret clubs. <laughs> I think you do. Oh, so cool. And I love Meg Medina. I love, I remember just like cheering so hard when Mercy Suarez won. So oh, fun. I love it. Yeah. Oh, such a good one. Um, well, you know, that kind of leads me to one of the other questions I had, just sort of what the role um, other writers have played in your writing journey. And I know I saw that you um, were really involved in a critique book, a critique group. I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. Um, kind of a, finding a good critique group is like winning the lotto for writers, finding that perfect mix of people that can give you feedback to help build your work. And I had been in a couple of critique groups that I just, I wasn't getting a lot of critique. I, it was a lot of patting on the back and you really need people to help you dig into your work. Um, at one point, this is so interesting. I was at a writing conference and I saw a patient of mine and you're not allowed because of HIPAA law. I can't go up to my patient and say, hello. So um, when she came in for her eye exam, I said, hey, are you a writer? And we had this conversation. She's like, yeah, she goes, why didn't you come up to me? But anyway, she invited me to her critique group and she is an adult mystery writer. And so not even in the um, kidlet era, you know, genre, but I went to her critique group and there were fantasy writers and, and there were no kidlet writers at all, but the mix of these writers and the feedback that they gave me really helped me and helped my work. And that was in 2011. And so we've become like this family and we argue like a family and we're all from such different walks of life, but we love each other dearly and we get in arguments and, you know, some overwork normally. And, you know, I've stormed out before and then everybody comes back and we make up and like, not just me, other people. I'm not the only stormer outer. <laughs> I've only done it once. I'm normally really happy, but, um, it's been kind of, we, we, we meet every week, um, COVID, you know, during the pandemic, we met virtually and typically for about three hours and we bring chapters. And even if you don't bring a chapter, it's you, people still come, we come to support one another and help each other with our work. And so that has probably been my biggest and best writing tool Truly. And so it's very important to me. And um, there are seven of us and our, we have a secret club name. We're called the Paper Cuts. And <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that and that's important. I have talked to writers recently who said, oh, yeah, I don't have anyone who looks at my work. And it's always baffling to me. And of course, you know, if you do have an editor that helps and you'll have that. But I love as many sets of eyes on my work and you don't have to take everybody's advice, but um, I listen to everyone and see what resonates with me and what doesn't. And yeah, but that, yeah, so that's it, it's been, it's like I said, the best tool ever. I would imagine the accountability would help too. I feel like just knowing um, you probably want to bring something to show every week. So that might help right. you a lot. Every yeah. week, right before I go in, I cringe and go, oh, I'm going to get torn apart. And I'm feeling <laughs> that way because tonight is writing group night. And I just edited a chapter and I just said, oh, they're going to tear me apart. But yeah, I'm still going to go. And every week you go in the next day. I mean, you crawl into a fetal position and then you dig back in and start over. 
So, so cool. Well, um, I had another kind of nerdy question as I was reading the book. Um, it's such a beautiful object as a book, like the cover feels so good in your hands and it's so beautiful. And like the, just even like the weight of the pages. And this is sort of a nerdy question, but I'm just kind of, and it made me wonder too, um, what it's been like working with um, Levine Carrito and um, just kind of what the process of like actually putting the book out in the world and like the design and mm-hmm. kind of what all that was like, because it's just such a stunning, like in addition to being a wonderful book, it's such a stunning like physical book as well. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can tell you that working with a small publisher as well if he, I hear all the time people say, oh, it's out of your control or you have no input. And while they're the ones, Nick Thomas, who's my editor, found um, Rexen Monarchy. She's the illustrator of the cover. He found her work on Instagram and she is a fabric designer in the Philippines. Fabric and like, you know, designs clothing and jewelry and things like that she'd never done a book cover, but he just saw this promise in her work and he approached her and I'm so happy that he did. And he did the same thing with Lupe Wong won't dance. He found an illustrator in the UK who did kind of sports themed illustration and both books, just the quality of, they just take such care. And part of being with a small publisher is that, I think they have the freedom to do that. It's not always about let's hurry to get to this to press or let's, you know, about the bottom dollar or about this. They really care about the quality of the work in each project that they do. And so, of course, I feel I look at my books and go, oh, my gosh, this is the most beautiful. But then I'll pick up one of their books from another writer and go, oh, my gosh, maybe this one is the most beautiful. And so it it's just every project they do, they take such care and um, yeah, down to the weight of the book, the feel of the cover, even that, you know, even you open, you take the cover off and the inside flap is another illustration that Raxen did of the fire snake. And I hear from so many people, they go, Oh my gosh, that is so cool and beautiful. And I said, yeah, I think so too. And when she first came back with templates for, of different illustrations, that was one of them. And we really, really loved it. And then Nick said, I don't know. What about a snake on the cover? I'm like, yeah, that might freak people out a little bit. <laughs> but um, we loved it so much. And um, but and people ask how much input I had. Not a ton, but more because I was so blown away by how beautiful it was. What, when you see something like this, it's really humbling. Somebody read my book and took what was in their mind from my book and put it on this cover, which is just, you know, it's breathtaking. There's no other way to describe it. I will tell you, like, there's still little things that I'm finding that I hadn't seen before. I had a student in a classroom visit point out to me that in the back flap cover, they said, oh, did you tell them to put the her obsidian pendant? And I'm like, what are they talking about? And I opened it up and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that is the obsidian pendant. So there are things that I'm still discovering and that people are pointing out to me. It's 
it's just beautiful. Uh, it is. It's um, it's going to have like a treasured spot on my bookshelf. It's so lovely. And I do really love when you find um, an imprint or a publisher where you just kind of know, even as a reader, you're in good hands. Like you, yes. you kind of know what's coming out is good. And um, I was really excited. I always liked the Arthur Levine imprint books. I'd kind of look out for what they were doing and just now see it as a whole publisher on its own is very cool. Um, well, I always love to just end by hearing what um, writers have been reading. And I know you're in the midst of um, of your own project and that, and as you said, the characters can be kind of messing with your own project. But is there anything you've been reading lately that you'd recommend? So it was so funny because I thought about it and I'm like, gosh, I haven't read anything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you've read like three books just in the last week. Because <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I hadn't, um, I have so many books in my pile as well, but I just, I read um, the book. One book I just read is a picture book. I am an American, which is the Wong Kim arc story. It's by Martha Brokenbrow. And it's, it's just such, I think every kid should read this story. It should be, it, it talks about um, America. I don't want to give too much away, but about, American citizenship, American citizenship and being, you know, a naturalized citizen versus, you know, being born in the U.S. It's just amazing. It's an amazing story. Um, I, oh, I just read, it comes out, I think in the next few weeks, it's called High Spirits by Camille Gomez Tavares. And it's a living querido book. And it's about, um, it's short stories, little, you know, montage. I think there's gosh, I can't remember how many stories, maybe about 20. And it's um, about a family and it's a Dominican Republic based book, but it's some of the families are, the stories are set in the US. Some are set with the family going back to visit their family in the Dominican Republic. And it's kind of, it's young adult, I would say, and it's beautiful. And you get into in such a short amount of time, each character's mind. And I just love it. Um, I have on my to read list. I, I haven't read barefoot dreams of Petra Luna yet. And that's Alda Dobbs book. So that's on my thing. I picked up yesterday, Aaron and Trotta Kelly's book, those kids from Fawn Creek. I oh, just, I've got to get that one. I'm oh, I'm sure. so excited. I went to my bookstore, my local store yesterday, and I said, do you have this yet? And they're like, no. And then I heard one of the booksellers in the back go, I'm putting it out right now. And I'm like, grab me one. So <laughs> um, that one. And I um, I just picked up Kelly Barnhill's new book, The Ogress and the Orphans. I'm so excited to read it. Um, oh, I just read also last week. Um, I hadn't read it yet. The um, I think it's pronounced Beatri- Beatrice Prophecy by Kate, Kate DiCamillo. Oh, yeah. Yep. Read it. It's so good. I have it and I have not read it yet. It's like it's mocking me on my TBR list and I just have not been able to get to it yet. It's it so, so fun. It is so fun. Um, and then I have Kyle Lukoff's book, Too Bright to See, in my pile. And um, oh, my gosh, my pile is like my bed. <laughs> Nice. So I just kind of slowly go through my pile, but I've got so many, but that's kind of what I'm on right now. 
Oh, you have lots of gems and I'll make sure I link to all those if people wanna um, browse them and check them out. Um, and I just looked up High Spirits too. Oh, that looks like such a beautiful cover too. I know we're not supposed to judge a book by a cover, but it's such a nice little addition when it's gorgeous. <laughs> um, it is, yeah. I'm I'm really proud to be with um, the Living Querido imprint just because they're, and the people are so good. They're just such good people and they really do care. Oh, so great. Um, well, I don't want to keep you too long, but um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and congrats again on um, the Newberry. And it was just such a pleasure to get to speak with you, Donna. I'm, I'm uh, inspired. And um, just I hope that anyone who has not picked up the last Quintista yet um, goes out and, and grabs a copy for themselves and the kids in their lives. Well, thank you so much. This was so fun chatting with you. Thank you. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. And there you'll also find a link to our new online bookshop. Um, a Bookish Home has teamed up with the new organization bookshop.org, which supports independent bookstores. And if you'd like, you can browse books by authors who have been guests on A Bookish Home. I'm also sharing there all the books mentioned on the podcast, books I've been reading lately, and other recommendations. It's a really wonderful site to browse and look through books. And if you make a purchase, it supports a bookish home and independent bookstores. So it's a win-win. So if you want to check that out directly, it's bookshop.org slash shop slash a bookish home. And you'll also find that at abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.